morning, everyone. Um, my name is Moses Lee. I'm the director of One U, which is the campus ministry of the Redeemer Church of Arlington. Uh, and if you are here today with us, visiting um, our city, visiting family, um, or in town for vacation, whatever it may be, we're just uh, grateful that you're here to worship with us. And um, we just um, want to welcome you to our church and our beautiful city. Um, just for the members here and our regular attendees, a brief update from our ministry. Um, as we finish this year, 2018, uh, One U has seen, well, I, uh, this past year we have seen uh, four professions of faith and two baptisms. So praise the Lord for that. Um, and this happening at the American University. And if this is now um, the closure of our third year, and so when we finished our first year, we saw two professions and um, two baptisms. The third year, we saw three professions and two baptisms. So this year, being our, the end of our third, we added another, uh, I guess we had another net gain of one if you compare it to the previous year. So maybe next year we'll have five professions, right? Um, praise God. Um, well, uh, I have this great privilege of ending this year's sermon series or whatever it is uh, that we're doing. <laughs> but um, I was asked to preach today on, um, for the New Year's. And so um, New Year's, uh, being an Asian American, is very special to us. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the Crazy Rich Asians? Oh, good number of you. Okay, all right. So if you guys have seen that movie, um, you know, the whole the narrative of that movie takes place around winter break, New Year's. And there's a famous scene with a family sitting around the table making dumplings. Um, that's what most East Asian, Southeast Asian cultures do when we gather together for New Year's. And growing up in a Korean and American family, New Year's was one of my favorite holidays. Um, it was the day when children get cash for showing respect to our elders. <laughs> we have this tradition where all we had to do was bow down to our parents and our uncles and our aunts and our grandparents, and each of them would give us an envelope filled with cash. I'm pretty sure they were bribing us to respect them, and I think it worked. <laughs> um, obviously, we don't suggest we do this, you know, you guys do this as Christians. I don't, we're not Machiavellian, right? The ends don't justify the means. Um, nevertheless, um, as I thought about this, um, tradition that we have in Asia and coming here to the U.S. and seeing that New Year's is also very highly celebrated and, you know, lots of festivities, a lot of drinking and just wondering, like, man, everybody seems to take New Year's very seriously and everybody seems to have a, a good time. And so for East Asia, we think of New Year's as um, like a season of, or I guess a series of weeks, days, I guess, of where you um, consider just uh, recommitments, um, where you um, cleanse yourself and your family of uh, lingering bad luck, uh, and you enchant your family with good luck. You show honor to your ancestors. Western New Year's is a little different, but it's also very similar in the way that it's also a day of fresh starts, uh, recommitments, and thanksgiving. 
And again, as I thought about this, I wondered, okay, if everywhere around the world it seems like New Year's is very important, what did they do in the Bible? Did the ancient Israelites do anything? When Jesus was alive, did he celebrate New Year's? And if they did, what can we gain from their practice and understanding? So as I looked into this a little bit more, um, I found out that since the days of Exodus, New Year's celebrations are actually the longest, if not perhaps the most significant of all celebrations. In fact, there are two New Year celebrations. Uh, the earlier tradition, I have a slide if you can show up on the screen. Um, the earlier uh, New Year celebration took place in the month of Nissan, like the car, right? And then the second, later New Year's celebration took place on the month of Tishri, which is month seven. And New Year's celebrations was, actually came to be more significant on the month of Tishri, because this is where the majority of the celebrations took place. This is where actually you took a whole month to celebrate. Um, and so this time of the year became more significant and historically we believe that this is also the period of time when Jesus was born. So um, I got this, as I was preparing for the sermon, um, one of our members here, Daniel Turner, posted this fascinating article on Facebook and I had the majority of content down and I didn't have a graph and so I'm borrowing that graph from the article which I think is perfect for how we picture what we're going to do. And so obviously the months then um, for the Jewish calendar and our modern Western calendar are very different. Nevertheless, um, it follows a similar seasonal patterns, right? Um, so it's, um, the annual cycles are the same, you know, beginning of the year to the end of the year, um, 12 months. Uh, but nevertheless, right now for our, the purposes of today's message, we're going to look at the month of Tishri. Um, which is very significant for um, the Israelites as they considered um, their past lives in Egypt as slaves and the story of freedom that they received um, and the experience of freedom that they received by the grace of God. So just to quickly sum it up so you guys know where we are going, um, we are going to look at the fall New Year's because, again, more festivals took place during this time. And the fall New Year celebrations lasted 22 days. It began first with um, the Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month, which was followed by the Day of Atonement on the tenth day, which is then followed by the Feast of Booths or tabernacles, which lasted from the 15th to the 21st day of the seventh month. These celebrations finally concluded uh, on the last great day, a day of solemn assembly on the 22nd day. So what was the point of this extended time of celebration? Well, if you follow the meaning behind each festival in the order they are to be observed, there is a movement. There is this ongoing story of God's sovereignty, of him redeeming his people, if you want to call it, that orients God's people towards a certain theological vision. 
in order for them to properly honor the Lord in the upcoming year. So let's read uh, Leviticus 23, 23 again, the Feast of Trumpets. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Now this first day of the New Year celebrations uh, was the Feast of Trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah, right? Which is what we still celebrate, or the modern day Jews still celebrate today. It was a day of solemn rest, which began with the blowing of trumpets. It marked the end of one agricultural year. And on this day, it didn't matter whether you were financially well off or struggling to pay off your debts. It didn't matter if you were considered holy or, or unholy, if you were a Jew or Gentile. Everyone in the land rested. Everyone stopped planning, working, worrying. On this day, everyone stopped thinking about what they had, uh, what they had accomplished or needed to accomplish, and instead focused on what God had accomplished in their lives throughout history. It was a day to gather to worship the saving God who loved them unconditionally as powerfully demonstrated through the Exodus narrative when they were granted their freedom. It was a day of preparation for the most sacred month of the Hebrew calendar. So I wanna do this exercise with everyone here. If you guys are journaling and taking notes, then you guys can just do that. But if you're not, I want us to close our eyes. And we won't, you guys won't close your eyes for too long because I don't want you to fall asleep. But um, you know, close your eyes, and I want you to reflect on this feast. Reflect the meaning of this feast on our own lives. And I'll ask some questions and just consider these questions. First question, what great accomplish from this past year is your heart still dwelling on right now? Or number two, maybe this year was very challenging. Maybe it wasn't a year of accomplishments. What overwhelms you this upcoming year? Or what overwhelms you as you consider the previous year? Now open your eyes. Let us remember that this feast that initiated the New Year's festivities is meant to challenge us. One reason why we find ourselves consumed by our successes or our failures is because we neglect reflecting on all that God has accomplished in history already and in our own lives even to this day. We can all benefit from, take, from taking a break to reflect on God's covenantal faithfulness in our own lives and in the lives of other believers. In other words, we can all benefit from reading about God's unfailing love for his people throughout history and also by sharing with one another how God has been faithful to us this year. That is the point of this festival. Verse 26, the Day of Atonement. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at the evening. From evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. Now, this tenth, on this tenth day of the seventh month, mark the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. It was a day of redemption. Forgiveness of sin. It was understandably the most important part of the Hebrew New Year celebrations. This is like the climax. The Hebrew word for now signifies its importance. And although it was already thoroughly described, this, the Day of Atonement was already described in Leviticus 16, the emphasis here is placed on divine retribution, God's judgment on his people, in verse 30, for those who do not honor it by observing the regulations of this day, which demonstrates just how important the need for forgiveness was. On this day, the high priest would enter the most holy place of the temple the innermost part, to make atonement for the sins of God's people by sacrificing an animal in the place of punishment for God's, in the place of the punishment God's people deserve for their sins. Because this festival was to take place during the New Year celebrations, we see that it, um, we see that it was absolution or this release from guilt, not resolution or, de- or the declaration to do better that would inspire and strengthen God's people for the upcoming year. See that distinction? Very different. Again, this, um, it was the absolution or release from guilt, not New Year's resolutions or commitment to do better that would inspire and strengthen God's people for the upcoming year. One starts from grace, one starts from self-improvement, almost legalism. Their convictions were not rooted in trying, to, in trying harder, but their convictions were rooted in the freedom to obey because they were freely forgiven. They wanted, they needed to remind themselves of this as they started a new year. Their hearts were not filled with promises of good works or better attempts with goals uh, to strive for, but with confessions of failures and they're receiving the gift of forgiveness. This was a day of repentance and grace. So now I want us to close our eyes again and reflect on this meaning, on the meaning of this day of atonement on our own lives as we start a new year. And I have some questions for you to consider again as you, um, as you have your eyes closed. First question, what sins from this past year are troubling you.
What sins have we failed to acknowledge to the Lord and to those whom we have wronged? And where do we need to seek reconciliation? As God sought reconciliation with us through sacrifice. Now you may open your eyes. Again, as we begin this new year, let us remember the Day of Atonement was a reminder that God has made our forgiveness possible. Let us not fear judgment or shame, for he is quick to forgive, quick to restore. Verse 33, the Feast of Booths. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. So I, I can't, maybe this is like, my, uh, maybe I'm a little tired, but I keep sounding like I'm saying booze. I'm saying booths, okay? <laughs> Day of booths, or feast of booths, <laughs> not booze. On, on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Man, this would make sense too if it was a feast of booze, actually, but it's feast of booths. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold an Hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel um, the appointed feasts of the Lord. Now this 15th to the 21st day of the seventh month marked this final feast of booths. The first and last days were devoted to Sabbath rest, and for seven days, God's people lived in these booths. But it's, it's confusing. Like, when I think of booths, I think of, like, food stands. Maybe that's not it. But, uh, maybe that's not, like, what you think of. But what it really is is, is they're tents. They're tents. Because when God's people left Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they lived in tents. So that's what it really is saying. Um, it's God's people lived in tents, just as their ancestors did for 40 years in the wilderness on the way to promised land. It was a day of remembrance that we are on a pilgrimage, that we are not citizens of the city of man, but that we are all permanent residents It was a day for families to come together to share intimate time together in tents, parents, grandparents, and children. Spending time together in tents, feasting in the old ways, remembering 
reminding each other, this is not our home. This is not our ultimate destination. We are not citizens of this world. We are still on our way. We are citizens of the city of God. You know, anyone who has taught little children will tell you that teaching a lesson from a story is much more effective um, when you have your listeners act out the story um, compared to just sharing it from like a pulpit or something, right? For ancient Israelites, the emphasis was placed on the older members of God's covenant community to instruct younger members about, of this important lesson about their lives. None of us have arrived. And yet, it was a reminder of God's promise that all who believe in their gracious covenant God would lead them to the true promised land, even as they dwelled in the physical promised land of Canaan. As pilgrims, God's people were reminded that their current journey is through a wilderness where wild animals threaten to attack at night, where thirst and hunger is a constant battle and danger lurks around every corner. But as God powerfully demonstrated through the Exodus narrative, and even in our own lives to this very day, he has proven himself faithfully sovereign, that he is in control, that he sees us, he sees you in your unique challenges. He knows how hard this past year was for you. He knows what challenges you will face this coming year. He knows animals are lurking at night to attack you. But he's your king. He's your father. He's watching over you and he will continue to protect you. Hence, the ancient Israelites had every reason to celebrate this festival as a time of joyful remembrance of God's past and ongoing sovereignty. It was fitting for them to cease from work and to worship before the Lord. Now, finally, one more time, I want us to close our eyes and now reflect on the meaning of the Feast of Booths on our own lives as we start this new year. In what ways have we sought to find comfort our identity and rest in the things of this world this past year? In what ways are these things still lingering in our hearts and giving us false hopes for this upcoming year? Secondly, in what ways have we sought to build kingdoms for ourselves in order to feel some minute sense of significance, whether through our jobs or education, our homes, or even our children? may open your eyes. Let us remember that the Feast of Booths was meant to reorient God's people back to the city of God, back to his kingdom, back to where our ultimate and true citizenship is at, the kingdom of God. 
We can all benefit from taking time to remember that the best this life has to offer is no better than the tents that the ancient Israelites lived in during their journey through the wilderness. And yet we can all benefit from taking time to long for the new heavens and new earth, an eternal kingdom that God is building on this very earth. And so to sum it all up, before the ancient Israelites committed themselves to a new year, they spent 22 days of doing this. 22 days of meditating on God's grace and forgiveness in their lives and refocusing their priorities on eternal matters. New Year's festivities were incredibly community-centered and family-based and hope-filled practices for these people. And so as a New Testament people of God, we can now look retroactively and see that all that the ancient Israelites hoped for in the new year has been fulfilled by Christ. First, as we consider the Feast of Trumpets, let us remember that our busyness and troubles do not define us. God has been covenantally faithful by providing us Jesus as a reason for celebrating this new year. Jesus gives us rest from anxiety and freedom from the temptation to be defined by our accomplishments as he gives us his perfect righteousness to us by faith. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lonely in heart, lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we consider the Day of Atonement, let us remember that despite our sins against the Lord and against one another this past year, Jesus was delivered upon the cross to absolve all our guilt and failures. He even forgave us for sins that we have yet to commit this upcoming year. And for doing this, he made rest possible. He made confession meaningful. Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And finally, as we consider the Feast of Booths, let us remember that this world is not our home. Our loyalties are not to this world. Because the blood of Christ flows through us, we are no longer creatures of this world, but transformed citizens of God's kingdom, the city of God. The best this life has to offer is no better than the tents that the ancient Israelites lived in. So let us joyfully share, joyfully care, joyfully embrace one another. And remember that God's sovereignty over creation, God is sovereign over creation and remember that this upcoming year with all its troubles and accomplishments are in the Lord's hands. Hence, rather than focusing on a build, a building a kingdom for ourselves in this world, let us store treasures in heaven 
And take heed to the Apostle Peter's exhortation in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, where he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his, of his visitation. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we um, come to you with various different uh, reasons to celebrate or mourn this New Year celebration. Some of us come with various failures and, and, and old or new sufferings, uh, new trials that weren't able to be, that weren't overcome in the year of 2018. Some of us come with great accomplishments, with new uh, achievements, with greater um, 401ks than we could have ever imagined. Lord, let us remember that all this is in your hands, that you were fully responsible, completely sovereign over all of this right now. And Lord, you see us in, our, in the midst of our trials and our suffering, and you have the power just as easily to give and take away. So let us continue to rest in your sovereignty, Do you watch over us, that you have made um, hope for us possible through Christ, healing possible through Christ, forgiveness from idolatry through Christ. Let us dwell on the grace and forgiveness that you offered us through the sacrificial lamb. And be reminded once more that this is not our home. And as we enter the new year, fix our eyes, fix our hearts on Jesus Christ and let us long for him that much more. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.